And we're live on Maple Syrup After Show, where designers discuss design. We're on episode 90. We should be on like episode 92, but unfortunately, the last two weeks, I was either sick or traveling. Um, but we are happy to hit episode 90, and we had a fantastic episode with Jason Kingsley and Josh Capel. And uh, yeah, lots of great information there also a, a shout out which was kind of a fun thing that jason watched episode six which featured josh which is was very influential and inspiring to him and now full circle you know only 80 you know 84 episodes later He's he was on the show with josh so whoa that that went meta so pretty cool stuff there um how about you tiff did anything stand out to you? Any uh, interesting comments or questions that got uh, got you thinking? Well, I mean, it's a thing that we hear quite frequently, I think, anywhere in the industry. And it's it was the question on to how Josh got started in the industry. And it's it's a question that a lot of people ask. And the answer was basically it was the same formula that we hear for when people ask, how did you get into design? How did you get into doing like media content? And that was just basically just networking. Um, it's really important to start having conversations with people. And for Josh's particular uh, instance of starting with uh, design and illustration stuff, he, he started, um, on a specific web forum that was for that and making connections with people. And I've heard that, that same story over and over and over again. Um, somebody's like engaging and talking with people a lot on Twitter or on a Facebook group or on BGG and they make these connections with people and then an opportunity comes up and somebody is like, oh, hey, right, I know this person online that seems capable of doing that. So. I think it just really goes, it, it solidifies what, I mean, I've known for a while, but I think that a lot of people just undervalue, and that's the value of networking and, and making connections with people and having conversations and hanging out. And sometimes that means maybe you're doing stuff for free, but not like entire projects, just like you're having chats yeah. and you're giving opinions and stuff like exactly. that. Exactly. There's yeah. elements of it, right? Like you're, you're giving a little bit of, of yourself and time and effort you're not doing the whole thing so that you know it leaves people wanting more but even if you look at it long term versus short term that little bit of investment versus you know hope you're hoping long term it, it becomes something that you can get paid and supported to do so we're not encouraging people give away your art for free and don't expect artists to give away their art for free but there is there is an element of just like and it might not be art it might be volunteering at, for instance, a booth so that you can build some, you know, relationships or different things like that. There's different ways to get connected. And some of that will include some volunteering or giving of time. Um, hopefully, you know, your booth can help, uh, you know, get your badge or get you a place to stay or things like that. But again, that's a, a big sacrifice. And a lot of people can't um, or think that they can't uh, go to a show. But it is if you really want to get involved in the industry. I, I'm a firm believer that you, you got to get involved. You got to pitch in places and build, build from the bottom up, build some relationships. And then, like you said, people, if they like you and you have skills, then hopefully 
down the road you'll you'll get to work together because people like to work with people they enjoy working with so yeah it's pretty 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 logical pretty pretty makes sense um there was a little uh banter in the chat about some companies that are known for quality art and some that have opportunities um I, d- I don't want to get too engaged down that path, but I do yeah. think, what do you think though, when it comes to the visuals, do you, do you support, do you buy, do you think games sell better because of the investment of art and because of like where, how can we convince uh, companies to, to go there? I don't think that it, it, I, I think honestly companies know, I think companies know. And the, and the issue is, is that there's certain companies that depend on the name on the game, like the designer of the game, or they depend on their previous reputation more than the art. Um, And so you can definitely tell, like the companies that are up and coming and they're trying really hard, they go over, they go over the top on the art because that's how they Mm -hmm. know, they know that's, that's how they're going to get their games seen. And then you see game companies that have been around for a long time and they don't need to like have as much pop because they know that, People are giant fans of their games and they're going to buy them no matter what. So, yeah, but it sucks in that way because, like, I have some really good games on my shelf downstairs that look ugly as sin. And then I have some beautiful games that are horrible. And, yeah. Yeah, I still still find it really frustrating uh, from a designer standpoint, usually – um, usually as a designer, I don't really have say on the art direction or, or art budget or anything like that. Cause I work with signing my games with publishers. I don't personally like kickstart or anything like that, but man, at, from a designer standpoint, it feels so good when you see a quality illustrator, make your rule book better or make the layout better on say the board or the card layout or having fantastic art that makes the game intuitive and function better. I mean, all those investments from a designer standpoint, man, I I feel so good when that's invested. And it's really sad. It feels like a really big missed opportunity when corners are cut or or budgets are low because, oh, we have someone in-house that can do that-ish or, you know, things like that. So um, please, publishers, keep keep investing and supporting our quality artists out there. Um, I have sadly been part of some projects where I've been really disappointed and then some projects that it just completely makes it sing. I know for me at BGG, um, I was so proud to see Sagrada. Um, it's there's, gorgeous. A, there's an example where Peter Walken, w- working with Ben Harkins from Floodgate, they did an incredible job of making all the little details matter. Everything from, it was funny, I opened the box and I was super giddy about um, that Ben managed to get the rule book uh, down to four pages. So one page folded. I was like, dude, this is amazing. And he's like, I, and he was like right away, like, I'm so glad you appreciate that because you have no idea how much time <laughs> and work that was. And same, you know, he was working with Ben trying to make everything layout wise fit and work and be functional. But then when you pick up a, a rule book that's that light, it feels less intimidating. And if it's laid out well, you can learn it quickly. And that was our goal was we really wanted that game to be accessible. So 
you know, to be able to pull that off. That's a minor detail that easily could have been that rule book could have been double, triple as long with illustrations and and still functioned, but not as well. So it's the details, the little things that really, you know, I'm quite quite excited about. And it's fun as a designer, you almost get more credit than you deserve because people are like, oh wow, this is so good. And it's like you have no idea how many people were yeah. behind this. So all the play testers, all the you know, I know, for instance, like Ben has like a few people that he turns to a lot to to work through, you know, each element of the game. So those people, big thanks. And and that's just one example of a game. There's so many games out there that people are working with a team of people. So um, what were what what are uh, did you have any surprises or things that uh, people s- said that stood out to you? Uh or comments in the in the comment section or questions that we didn't get to. There were um, not a computer sent a lot of questions uh, that were really good, mm-hmm. um, and we ended up touching on a few of them in various ways. So um, yeah, it was. But he asked one that was kind of interesting, and I wasn't sure. Or sorry, they. I don't remember what gender they identify as, but they asked a question that I can't remember it was kind of weirdly worded and it was basically like what advice would you give to kickstarter creators in regards to um in regards to like art creation like should they go for a couple of cards or or like yeah, just the cover or something it, like that it's too bad we didn't get to that because i know for instance josh has uh some very strong opinions on this and i can share because I've had chats with Josh about this, but for instance, uh, timeline wise, uh, and I agree with this, uh, through discussions with Josh, uh, we, we hold the opinion, uh, that, that art, art should be at least halfway done before you even start a Kickstarter. And why that matters is because you're communicating all these things like stretch goals and, and, and such. But if you don't, if you have not figured out like the layout and component needs and the box size and how everything's going to fit and, and the cost, like if you keep adding all these stretch goals, that's more artwork and more like, are you going to meet your timelines then? So um, to be able to do that well and to do that honestly is uh, I think really important that you invest in at least getting half your artwork done. So you tackle the issues of like, what box size are you going to be? What, what, you know, what's your MSRP going to be, you know, what things can you include and then have realistic stretch goals that include your artists throughout the, and graphic illustrator and, and such throughout the process and even think ahead instead of just reacting. And sadly, um, I mean, I'm sure examples have happened to Josh, but we can think of lots of different campaigns where they just added a bunch of stuff that made future problems for the game, adding players, adding new components, adding that just snowball into problems down the road because they didn't pre-plan. So uh, it is it is an investment for someone that's kickstarting. You actually have to spend money ahead of time. Yeah, and I don't, I don't, there's a friend of mine, and if you guys are on Twitter, you you know who I'm talking about. I just don't want to call him out specifically. But there's a friend of mine who was doing small, who was doing self-publishing um, of some really great games, and he did Kickstarters for them, but he made sure that, you know, he invested beforehand with 
um, I think most of the art was done yep. before the Kickstarters or they were like in process and he had paid for all the art to be done. And the Kickstarters themselves were mostly for the cost of getting the game printed and to also help pay himself back. But he personally invested $15,000 into those two games. And that money he didn't get back. Like his Kickstarters covered getting the games printed, getting the game shipped, getting the games to people. And they covered like some of the stretch goals and some of the other stuff. But like from a personal financial standpoint, like games are not, not cheap. Cheap. No, yeah. Those, and first, those a, first print runs, there's not a lot of margin to work with. Yeah. Like you, when you think about getting a game done and you want to make a game, there's a lot of personal investment and you have to go into it realizing and understanding and being okay with the idea that you probably might not get any of that money back. Um, like the money, like running a Kickstarter is expensive. It's basically a glorified marketing tactic. Yeah. Like I've, I've run a Kickstarter and I can tell you right now that we, I, yeah, we got $3,000 to help me go to Essen two years ago and it probably after t-shirts and shipping and like paying for the art and that kind of stuff, I think I got, and then like Kickstarter fees and stuff like that. What actually ended up going towards our trip was only about $500. So yeah. Yep. Like you really have to realize that and and people like Jimmy Stegmeyer, they've written like extensive blog posts on this. Kickstarter is a marketing tool. Yeah. And it's not until you start making like the hundreds of thousands, you know, if not millions of dollars on Kickstarter that it starts to become profitable. So yeah. Absolutely. I went on like a, a rant and the dogs got upset about it, apparently. Yeah. I'm feeling it. I'm feeling you. There's a lot of a lot of love going down there. Um, what are you know? We we had a couple of fantastic artists, but are there any artists or games that stand out to you that you really enjoy? Is there certain certain artists that you wish someday to maybe have a game featuring their art? Beth. I know. For, well, yeah, Beth Sobel is one that I've said many multiple times. Uh, I just want to design a game just to have Beth's art. Like well, I. <laughs> I totally agree. Well, I got to meet her at BGGCon, so I got to tell her face-to-face, like, I'm yeah. serious. I am one of my life goals, best level art on a game that I got to be part of. So, yeah. need that to happen. Anyone else that stands out to you? Even if you don't know, say, the artist's name, maybe it's just uh, like a game that you're like, that's beautiful. I really like the art in it's really funny because I played it and I was kind of like ah, on the gameplay, but like the art and the style of Kanagawa, mm-hmm. Kanagawa, yeah. um, I that art really speaks to me. Um, just the style, the brushstrokes, and the watercolor kind of style I really liked. Okay. Um, and then there's another game that does something really similar, and I'm totally blanking on it right now. But um, yes. Yeah, I have a I have a long wish list. So Yeah, I was somebody, gonna say yours is like I mean, I definitely I definitely want Vincent Detroit. I love a lot of his stuff. He does like uh does so many beautiful games. Uh Michael Menzel is another one that he just does really beautiful uh work. So I've um, got yeah. the portrait artist for I forget her name, the illustrator that does like ashes. 
Oh, and, yeah. Oh, so gorgeous. Yeah. So good. So, I mean, I am happy that our hobby has some incredibly talented people, and I just hope that we continue to support and invest in that because, personally, I buy games often because of the aesthetic, the the art, the the feel, the quality of components, all that kind of stuff, and how it's designed in that regard. That's a big deal to me. Mm-hmm. Obviously, if a game's amazing and it's ugly, I'll still I'll still play it. But yeah. I'm actually a little hesitant to own it. Like there's. I don't, I don't, I'm, I'm pretty picky, right? Like your budget is only so much. So if you're going to buy, there's, there's a, the good games yeah. that are pretty as well. I might as well buy the good game that's pretty. Well, and we, we didn't, we talked about this in the pre pre-show, which isn't live on the internet where we were talking about this episode was about art and it could be the art in regards to the game as a, as a whole, because, mm-hmm. um, games are art they're pieces of art the design and like the feelings and um thoughts that you have while you're playing the game is part of experiencing the art of the game like where we talk about like it's an art piece it's an interactive art piece that people engage with um and a lot of people i think forget that sometimes um but it's one of those things where steve and i have started to when we're really paring down our collection, which we've been doing for a while now, we really take into consideration the overall artistic statement of pieces in our collection. And if they are bugly, um, (laughs) that that's a part of it. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. It's the little things, certain things stand out. This is the care to detail. I know even like, for instance, it was really fun. I was just, well, like before PGG, I was down at the IDW offices. And one of the questions that came up in our meetings was like, so how could we make this experience better? Like say the packaging, say the art, say the just little things. And I think that is an important question that because our market's so saturated, publishers need to continue to ask and think through. Uh, It was fun. Like uh, I had this one idea so, for instance, John Gilmore and I have an upcoming series of games called Outposts that are card games, and uh, the packaging is going to be a tin, which I've never had a game in a tin, but I'm really excited about that. But one little detail that came out in the art that was a fun thing was the artist had submitted um, the logo and then had submitted what they're going to put on the cover of the tin, and um, there's a part in the logo that there's barbed wire. And so I said, well, would it be possible to actually take the the barbed wire art out and just show the tin shining through so that it would be, look metallic and they're like oh yeah totally that's so like little things like that i think people are always thinking of those details and i think you know most people they won't even notice but for me that's like a little detail that i think i'm i'm excited about and so that i think uh people like jason and people like josh are always asking those questions of like how could we communicate and give people an experience that it's going to stand out that it's going to be special so i i think uh i think we need more people asking those questions so that games are that five percent better yeah what is another game that you maybe own or have seen or have played that has that that you know like the game that has that extra five percent that stands out to you in your memory yeah i mean another example Another example, I mean, they, they did, uh, Josh said the Belfort example. Uh, I, I know for myself, like I got into Belfort and 
I got into it really excited. And then it was the little details, like he he mentioned Easter eggs, but there's little parts in the art that you can find like references to like other TMG games or different little jokes. And all those little things became like while I was playing, I was noticing. And then I'd be excited and I would share that with other people. Like, oh, did you see, you know, I'd play with someone, but I'd say, oh, did you notice this Easter egg and this Easter egg? Then people are all looking and they're excited. So then when they share the game with someone else, they go, oh, did you notice this? And so all those little things, I think, just makes it more viral, makes it more exciting, gives you kind of like this insider knowledge feeling. Yeah. So I, I think I think that's really what stands out. Or like really cool components and people want to show people and share that. Like um, I just opened up, I got a copy of Alm. Yep. From R&R. And they have this 3D temple or temple uh, cathedral. Um, but one of the neat things is they made the spire made out of different tiles that you flip and it's a timing mechanism that as the spire is like coming down because you're taking these little tiles out, you have this visual that just kind of, it feels cool to like, Oh, like time is ticking. I can see it. I can visually watch it. I can use these tiles. It gives me a very tactile experience. So that's an example to me of, like really cool and creative ways of thinking of how how can we do this? Because it would be easy to just, you know, stack some tiles on the corner of of the thing, but they built it right into the cathedral and built it into like you feel cool taking these bits. So. Yeah. That's a I actually think we're gonna play that tonight on the live stream. But nice. on the same note, there was another game that came out this year at Essen that has a similar thing with the 3D cardboard, which I think we're going to see a lot and a lot more. Um, the wheelbarrow in Cottage Garden. Yes. It marks the end of the queue. So when you are playing, you know where you're supposed to be drawing flowers from. Right. And we played with it twice and we had it empty. And then like we were playing with it, we were playing it on like a really small table. And so I was just like, ah, and I just dumped the pots into the wheelbarrow and they all fit perfectly. And I was like, why, why did I not do this sooner? Like, this is brilliant. It's functional in two ways. It's beautiful. Like it's fun to like wheel around the table. Um, it's just, yeah. Yeah. That's super smart. Super smart. I wanted, I wanted, and uh, it never happened. Although I wasn't working for IDW then, so maybe I can get more sway in the future. But I wanted for my mine all mine to have mining carts that held the gems. So you had little 3D mining carts that you'd pull them out of, and I just thought it would be a nice little visual. But budgets, budgets. Mad, Mad Bono One sells says that one that stands out for her art ways but fell short game wise was World of Smog on Her Majesty's Service. Yeah, that game was gorgeous, and I wanted to like the gameplay. That's from Simon, uh, or back then it was Cool Mini or not. And uh, yeah, the art was incredible for that game. And uh, I got to try it actually because they generously had donated a copy for Maple Syrup Winter Camp last year, and so that's how I got to try it. And unfortunately. I would agree the gameplay fell short for me as well. Even Josh mentioned, you know, he's really pr- proud of Pirates versus Dinosaurs. Unfortunately, that gameplay is not so great. I actually, uh, I had to teach it a few times at our local game cafe when I worked there as a game guru. And I would try to convince people not to play. But it was just so beautiful that people were like, like, I want to play this. And I'm like, nah. okay, it's going to be a long teach. 
you're going to have a very long experience. And at the end, you're going to be very unsatisfied. And they're like, every time people are like, no, 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 let's do it. Cause it was beautiful. And always at the end, everyone's like, I should have listened to you. So my, my personal design goal is, and I throw this out to designers out there, design a better game with the components put the rules on BGG so that Pirates versus Dinosaurs, there's a rule set that's good for the game and just use the components that are already in there. there I, I think, yeah. there you go. That design a new game, it. use the components of that one. Yeah, use the um, components, design a new game. So I wanted to tell a story about Oh yeah, Josh. tell your story. So Josh kind of mentioned it. So He, he winked at it. Yeah, so Josh, Josh, um, Josh and I stayed with Jordan and Mandy at their place for Gen Con. And we would carpool in to the con every morning and in the evening sometimes. And we were riding him. I was riding with him and his wife. And we were just chatting. And they were like, what is your... They asked me, what is you know, your getting into the hobby story? And so I told them. And I was like, well, you know, typical played games in high school. Thought Risk was the best thing ever because there was. Was nothing, was. there was nothing ever that I knew better. And then, like, I started hanging out with this D&D group. And then one day, the D&D group, like, the DM wasn't ready. So they were like, let's just play a board game. And they pulled up Dominion, and my world was shattered. Boom. And... So then they were like, I was like, where can I get this? Where can I go get games like this? And they were like, oh, there's this game store. It's Game Castle in um, San Jose. And I was like, oh, cool. So I went to Game Castle and I walked around. And Game Castle is, it's a, they have a great selection. It's alphabetical, which drives me nuts by publisher, which I'm like, ah. But, um, by publisher? It's publisher, by publisher. And then it's alphabetical inside that's, by publisher. That's crazy. That's crazy. Um, that's that's wrong. So and and the store is also it's the kind of store like it's in like it's in like a warehousey neighborhood and like the yeah. inside of the store is tile with metal shelves and you're kind of like yeah this is the stereotypical game store feeling, yeah. um, but they're they're super awesome and helpful and their selection's great and their location they have a better location now in Mountain View but anyway um, so I'm in there and I'm looking around and I'm completely lost. And they're super busy, so they're not helping me. Plus, the guy that was working was kind of sexist. But anyway, I just, like, grab two games that I think look really good to me. And so I end up getting Steam by Martin Wallace. Because nice. I love trains. And Endeavor, and I don't remember the, the designer of that. Mm -hmm. But I buy, those are the two games that I bought. Those are the first two hobby board games that I bought, Steam and Endeavor. And... I think we played, or I tried to play Steam with my friends, and it was like too much for them, and so they were it's like, "No, heavy. it's not." Yeah, heavy early. Yeah, it was. It was. I really went deep my first game, um, and so we like aborted playing Steam, and we switched to Endeavor, and it was awesome, and they really liked it, and I still have that copy of Endeavor, and I just like to this day, I'm just like, what if that game had sucked? Like, what yeah. if I had spent fifty bucks on this game that imagine? I thought looked really cool? Uh... And that game had sucked. Like, yeah. what would have happened? And so I like mentioned this to Josh. I, I was like telling them this story in the car, and Josh, like, they both like turned around, like, "Are you kidding? Are you kidding us?" And I was like, "What? No, it was Endeavor. Like, what if Endeavor had sucked?" And he was just like, "I did the art for that." <laughs> I was like, yeah. "Oh my god!" Totally. So yeah, it was. 
Yeah, um, Endeavor, Endeavor was early on my my journey of games as well. It was actually I attended, um, which I ended up taking over. But there's there were these events across Canada called the Great Canadian Board Game Blitz, and they were these full day tournaments where either stores or cons or just local gaming areas in different cities across Canada would organize these kind of like eight hour days of gaming. And I remember being like, well, if I'm going to look into like these modern games, cause I had gotten into like Puerto Rico and San Juan and stuff. And I was like, all right, like, let's see what else is there. Um, I recruited my buddy, Brian Malott and uh, the two of us went to one of these events and we're like, we're in, all right, let's do this. Like eight, nine hours of like gaming and you play five rounds of games. So like, there's like an hour round, another hour round, an hour and a half round, etc. And, uh, one of the games we played was Endeavor and I loved it so much that that was one of the first games that I purchased. And most people can tell cause my box cover is like ripping to shreds, but the best part is cause the look, of the box cover it just kind of fits it works with it yeah because it's like this rundown leathery cover so um yeah so endeavor is also dear to my heart and one of my favorite josh capella art games and that was also where then i started finding out like about like canadian designers and canadian artists and all that i met josh at a local con that sadly doesn't happen anymore called HammerCon, and uh happens in ham or happened in hamilton which was uh, the Hammer was its nickname, so it's HammerCon. And, uh, yeah, hung out with Josh, and it was funny because when we first hung out and played some games, um, he was totally like, I don't know anybody. And I'm like, come on, you must know everyone. You're like Josh Capel, like artist of great games like Endeavor and Pandemic. And he was like, no, nah, I've never been to a con. This was This was his first con. So it was funny, like the advice that, Jason was giving about, you know, go to cons and get to know everyone. I mean, yeah. it, it really, uh, I'm sure long-term helped Josh, especially on the design side. But for him, his story was more like I got in with Z-Man and that really opened the doors for him was, was that scenario with Gaos and then, and then Zev liking working with him and just going from there. So, yeah. So different paths, different ways, but it all comes down to relationships at the end. Putting yourself out there. Yep. yep. Cool. Yep, yep, yep. Well, uh, I think we got an exciting show next week, uh, which we'll have lots to chat about as well. Meanwhile, if people have any uh, comments or ideas, fire them our way. You can find Tiffany on Twitter, the one tar. Um, also, uh, check out whatever her Steve and uh, Tiffany are playing live <laughs> tonight. It might be Ohm. It might be not. But, uh, it's either going to be Ohm, or Rhodes. That's awesome. I have Toria right beside me on the desk as well. So I'll yeah. vote for one of those two just because mm. I don't know the other one. So I don't yeah. I don't have it. Rhodes, Rhodes looks really interesting. It's basically like pre-pan. It's like, it's like uh, oh my goodness, my brain is farting. Ancient Greek Panamax. <laughs> oh, whoa. Okay. Yeah. Anyway, Tor Toria, I want you to, I want you guys to play that soon. And then we should design a game using just the towers from Toria, like that idea. Cause I think those towers, like when I first saw that at gathering, my brain exploded. Like yeah. I was just like, that is the coolest. And I've heard well, other I people that said it was sad because of reason. That, yeah. Well, I love it. I love that. The towers. They, they said it was sad. Why did they say it was sad? They, they, 
uh, I won't say who it is because people will know. But they they said they thought it was just a gimmick. Uh, I've like heard that about that gimmick. game, and I don't think so. I think I think those towers alone are satisfying enough. I there's certain elements of the gameplay that I'm actually not satisfied by, but I still bought it because the towers are just so mind blowing in my mind. So. Mm. Mm-hmm. I'm blowing up my mind. That sounds weird. All right. So, well, no, uh, I think we're tapping out. Yeah. And uh, think... thank you to anyone that's watch, watching. If you're uh, uh, out there making games, uh, please, uh, at future cons, flag us down. It was really cool at BGG. I met a bunch of people that watch our show, and that awesome. was super fun. Um, so, again, at shows, let us know or send us a message or on on Twitter, um, and especially over the winter, we won't have cons, so let's uh, talk through the interwebs. Yeah, stay warm. Talk through the interwebs. Yeah, there's supposedly snow coming to Portland. Yeah, I'm really excited. Next week, apparently, there's going to be snow. You're messed in the head. I have snow already. Here's the hope. It's a really wet snow when it comes, though, and then it's just just mostly ice. It's just gross. (laughs) Which is not great at all. But I'm still excited. Stay safe, people. Enjoy your snow if you got some. If you yeah. don't, you're lucky. <laughs> Alrighty, cool. We'll see you all next week. Bye. Bye. Oh, Zena says goodbye too.